And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to today's first day of the new year edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Brent Clanton joining us for a brand new year. It's 2022. Um, start your Christmas shopping now. It'll be here before you know it, <laughs> if it's anything like last year. Um, got a lot of stuff to go into today, of course, as we start talking about the year ahead, right? I mean, this is kind of what everybody's wanting to know now is what do we do this year? Last year, markets ended up over 25%. It's a good year all around for stocks. Uh, is that going to continue this year? That's going to be the big question. Um, a lot of changes coming up this year. You know, things that we had as tailwinds last year, we've written about this over the last couple of days as well in, in our blog post as well as our newsletter, talking about the year ahead. And that a lot of the tailwinds that we saw over the last couple of years, you know, massive amounts of stimulus, checks directly to households that, you know, young investors armed with a trading app went out, took that $1,400 check, started buying stocks with it. That's going to all change now. Uh, a lot of that liquidity coming out of the system, the Fed now talking about hiking interest rates, tapering their balance sheet, tapering those monetary inflows into the, in, into the financial markets. Global liquidity is also starting to show signs of tapering off as well. So a big change last year, of course, was we had record IPOs. The number of companies that went public last year was a record by far in a way of what we've seen at any other point in history. Just a massive number of companies going public. The number of companies getting funded, these unicorns, right? These are companies that are worth a billion dollars. We saw decacorns last year, companies valued at $10 billion uh, that basically had no revenue. And, you know, hopefully they'll grow into those things. But these are the type of, you know, things that you see in very exuberant markets. Now, historically speaking, as we start talking about 25% up years, the years that tend to follow also tend to be positive, right? You have a lot of bullish sentiment going out of 2021 into 2022. Stocks tend to, tend to perform well. Not always the case, but most of the time you do get some follow through. And, and the average return in a year that's following a 25% up year has been about 14%. Does that mean it happens every time? No. This is the thing, though, about a lot of statistics that you're going to read over the next couple of months. You're going to see a lot of writing in, in financial media, et cetera, talking about the year ahead, expectations for more bullish upside. This is awesome. Problem is, it doesn't always work out that way. When you're talking about averages, right, in order to have an average of 14%, you had years that were better than 14%. You had years that were a lot worse. Some were negative. The average is always just the average. So again, be careful with a lot of this analysis because it'll make things appear like this is a no-lose year. Just throw your money in the markets and you're going to be fine. Could be the case. But as I said, there's a lot of changes that are coming that we didn't have over the last couple of years. Tighter monetary policy. You've got rising inflation that, you know, it's questionable. Is that inflationary pressure going to stick all year? Are we going to see that start to come back off? Are we going to get to be back more into deflationary pressure? The economic growth. We've had great economic growth over the last year because of, well, 
$5 trillion worth of stimulus. There's been an interesting article out over the weekend talking about Joe Biden's first year as president had great economic returns. Well, yeah, if you throw $5 trillion into an economy, you're going to have great economic returns. It's just kind of a function of, you know, a, a culmination of events. Did he do anything? Did he, have, did he pass any policies that created better economic environments? No, of course not. But you had an economic shutdown under the Trump administration. Then, of course, that massive tailwind of recovery just reopening the economy itself. Forget the $5 trillion. But once you shut down the economy and reopen it, you're going to have a very strong economic resurgence, just putting people back to work. Then you throw $5 trillion on top of it. It's kind of like throwing gasoline on a fire. And you're going to have a lot of very, very good returns. But as I said, that liquidity has now been primarily used up. Now we're talking about 2022. Build Back Better plan, is that going to get passed this year? Maybe. Uh, Joe Manchin over the weekend saying he's willing to come back to the table, but the extended tile tax credit has to be off the table or at least greatly reduced. So it, we may not see the Build Back Better plan for quite some time. And even if we do, that's a far different plan of spending than what we saw with the you know, $14 checks to households. So again, you don't have that liquidity push into the economy. You don't have that inflationary pressure from all that liquidity. And that's also another issue is that that liquidity, which caused the inflationary pressure, is now going to become deflationary as we get further into the year. So for all these companies that are dependent upon a lot of economic growth in order to sustain their revenues and their sales and these type of things, that may not be the case this year. So again, these are all the things that we're going to have to balance as we start talking about how to allocate money, how to invest as we get into the new year. It's not going to be as easy as it was over the last year, I suspect. I could be wrong. But I suspect that this year could be a year of a bit more volatility, particularly as we get further into the year. Um, you know, the Federal Reserve is talking about hiking rates as soon as March. Now, again, just because the Fed hikes rates, that doesn't mean the market immediately goes into reversal. Um, market's already pricing in the idea of tighter monetary policy. The question is always with the Fed is at what point do higher interest rates begin to impact economic activity, mortgages, credit card spending, etc. You know, another big uh, thing that we'll be looking at over the course of the next year as well is job growth. We've got record low unemployment claims. We've got record high job openings. But is that really the case in the economy? Because if we take a look at the number of people in terms of the labor force, the labor force participation rate, it's not really recovering all that fast. Now, you would think that with record low job openings and record high, sorry, record high job openings and record low jobless claims that you would have a very strong participation rate, right? Most of your labor force should be participating in, well, the job market, but they're not. So really what's telling us is, a, 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 which, which numbers are telling us the true story? Is it really just that we have so many job openings and people just don't want to work? Or is the underlying labor force actually fairly full? Are we really near full employment? And well, we're just going to have to see how things work out for the rest of this year. It's going to be a question we'll be answering. But these are all the things as we start talking about how to allocate money, where to put money, what's going to perform better than what's, what's not. Those are all the risks that we're going to have to analyze over the course of the next few months as we get into the year and see how these things start to play out. 
Now, again, right now, a lot of people are focusing on what we call recency bias. We look at what worked last year and expect that to happen again. In fact, if you take a look at a lot of the analysts out there right now, they're saying, what stocks are going to perform best in 2022? Well, the ones that performed well last year. Just keep buying those guys. And probably that's going to be the case at least early on in the marketplace. But historically, what we know is, is that eventually it's the stuff that didn't perform well in the past that tends to overtake. So what were the areas that didn't perform well last year? They had positive returns. They just didn't have as much return as everything else. Utilities, real estate, staples, a lot of these more defensive names of the, of the market, the value sectors of the markets may actually wind up performing better this year. Then we'll see. Small caps, and this is our article on the website today, may be in trouble next year. And we'll talk about some of that when we come back from the break as well. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, for The Real Investment Show. Happy New Year. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And good morning. Welcome back to the show. Of course, it is... Uh, 2022 as we get uh, things underway. Um, I appreciate you um, sticking around last week while we were out on vacation. So um, we're now back. And of course, uh, we actually survived vacation this year, which was a good thing. You know, hauling kids across country is always a kind of an interesting perspective. And, and usually we have really great stories about disaster and, and things that happen on our vacations. And we almost had one this year. Uh, normally we don't when we travel east. It's only when we travel west that we have the really good stories. But our rental car broke down halfway between Miami and Key West. So, <laughs> but other than that, you know, it actually worked out pretty well. So, no big, no big tragedy to speak of this year. So it was fine. A um, couple of things, as I was saying, you know, earlier, and, and this is as one thing that we'll be talking about a little bit more this morning is that. You know, as we look into next year, there's a lot of expectations that the bullish bias of the markets will continue next year. And that's look, that's that's entirely possible. Right. I'm not I'm not saying it's not at all, but we've had a more than a decade now of just consistently positive returns. And that's a very long stretch in the markets. And, and again, you know, we can talk about valuations. We can talk about. Um, you know, price to sales. We can talk about, you know, a lot of different things that suggest that, you know, markets are at risk of a bigger correction and doesn't necessarily mean that that will ultimately be the case. 
you know, when you start talking about the year ahead, you know, it, it becomes it, it's it's you know we're we're trying to predict things that we really have no understanding of. There's so many things that can happen between now and next December that can roil the markets. Um, you know, could be geopolitical. We've got midterm elections coming up this year. Could be a shift in policy. Could be just simply a a function of some type of credit break within the markets caused by some anomalous event. And this is the risk that we have with with predictions is that saying, well, you know, on average, markets do well following a 25% up year. So I'm just going to put my money in, not worry about it, and, you know, I'll just talk to you at the end of next year. It could well be the case. And, in fact, the, the bullish bias tends to be the case more often than not. So the odds are in your favor that markets will perform well this year. The problem is always that small percentage, smaller, I shouldn't say small because it's not a small percentage, but a smaller percentage of times the markets don't perform well. The destruction of capital becomes a much bigger problem, especially if you've accumulated a lot of capital, you're probably a lot closer to retirement than not, and you don't have time to make up that lost capital. And this is you know, the, the, the one thing that we talk about quite a bit is this you know, idea of preservation of capital, just trying to avoid the pitfalls of the markets when, when they occur. Now, it doesn't mean they recur every year, doesn't doesn't mean that they're going to happen tomorrow, but they will eventually happen. And these you know these potholes in the road to financial success can can set you back a good bit. And so it's important to be aware of those issues. And you know, it was interesting. Yahoo Finance this morning starts out by saying history says 2022 will be another banner year for stocks. Now see right there. It's going to be good, right? It's a banner year, not just a good year, not just a mildly positive year, not just a positive year, right? It's a banner year, suggesting that we're going to have really, really good returns for another 12 months. Could be the case. The problem here is that they're saying that the average gain, we talked about this at the open, was 14% following a 25% up year. It's true. On average, and, and see, there's the big, that's the big trick, on average. There were years that were better than 14%. What they don't tell you about is the years that were not better than 14%. And that there were years in there where there were actually negative rates of return. You know, 1999, had a banner year for stocks. 2001 and two were not so good. So, again, this is why it's important to kind of keep things in perspective, but also not to get wrapped up in what we call recency bias. And recency bias is a psychological phenomenon of saying that's what happened recently and that should continue to happen in the future. And that's, that's a very dangerous place to be in because psychologically it, it lures us into making very bad investment choices with our money. Now, Yahoo Finance goes on to talk about that with these, with this next statement, which I love this. 
So the average gain is 14%. Not too shabby by any stretch of imagination. So with these feel-good vibes and the market's kickoff of the year, I offer up a couple of predictions. Not me. This is Yahoo Finance. To tie that, the tie that binds these predictions, none of them are buffoonish. I'm not making them to get on TV or to justify a $300,000 Substack stipend for an extra premium newsletter. That's what he says. Of course, he has a Substack. Um, None... Nope. These are things I think could actually happen and you could consider them a part of your investing process. Now he's not, he's not wrong about this. Stocks don't go up forever. These are, these are really out there in terms of well thought out thesis. Stocks don't go up forever. That's pretty obvious, right? Um, Housing will stay hot. Home prices will probably be up another 10% this year, at least He says, in 2022, as buyers try to outrun higher interest rates at a time of incredibly low housing inventory. That's not necessarily how housing markets actually work. When people think rates are about to rise, they've already bought houses, right? So the problem with trying to get in front of higher rates is that they still have to go through the qualification process. Housing prices are high. Um, you know, already a lot of people, there's been article after article, people can't afford to buy a house. They're too, they're too expensive, et cetera. So, you know, housing will probably cool this year for uh, several reasons. One of those will probably be higher rates from the Fed. He also notes that it's just time for a change. You know, it's been so good for so long. It's just got to be different. (laughs) Time, um, you know, so, so again, you know, when you get into these, you know, these predictions, None of these are well thought out. Let's talk about some things that could actually happen this year that could undermine the markets for real. And that's those are the things that we want to start focusing on. One of those things we actually wrote an article about this morning is talking about the NFIB, which is the National Federation of Independent Businesses. This is a group that monitors small businesses around the country. They take a survey on a monthly basis. They ask them questions about credit, sales, revenue, employment, you know, all the things that are, that are vital to a, a small business. And one of the things that is important to understand, I have a chart on this this morning um, as well. It's in the article. So if you go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, we have an article titled Small Caps Could Be in Trouble in 2022. And I have all this data from the NFIB in this report to kind of prove up. But this is the one thing that really jumps out when you start talking about small businesses. And actually, it's not even small businesses, you know, in general. It's every business. How many corporations are there in the U.S.? Okay, Roughly about 33 million corporations have been formed. And this is an important number. Because that's a lot of businesses. Now, this number gets thrown out a lot. In fact, you know, when we talk about, you know, the markets, we talk about all these businesses getting created, we have these record number of job openings, etc., so there's been a big surge in, in the last year or so of small businesses getting formed. 
What nobody ever talks about is how many of these small businesses actually have employees. And now you're thinking, go, well, why would I form a business if I didn't have employees? <laughs> a lot of corporations are formed for what's been what's been the topic over the last couple of years in particular under the new administration. Tax the rich. <coughs> Excuse me. Tax the rich. Take more from the wealthy. Give it to the poor. Change the estate tax issues. All this, right? So if I have wealth, what do you think I've been doing over the last year? Maybe readjusting some of my, my holdings and structures to help protect taxes, right? So what do I need for that? Well, I've got to set up LLCs as an example for trust, estate plans, these type of things. So when you take a look at the 33 million small businesses that are out there, how many of them do you guess actually have one or more employees? Would 6 million surprise you? Because that's about roughly what it is. Out of 33 million businesses, only about 6 million have actual employees. Here's the interesting thing, and you can see this from the chart if you're watching our live stream right now. And uh, if you're driving, please don't try to watch our live stream at the moment. I'd prefer you got to work safely. But take a look at the article, because what you're going to find out, something we'll talk about when we come back from the break, is that the number of small businesses since 1998 that actually have employees hasn't changed. And that has something to do with what's called the birth-death analysis that has contributed a lot to our employment situation over the course of the last decade. We'll be right back after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So we're talking a little bit about the year ahead, and that's going to be kind of be our topic du jour for probably the next several days, I imagine, as we go through different aspects of the economy, markets, policy, et cetera. But one thing we're talking about right now is, of course, the underlying economy, right? So the one thing that we need to have in order to have another year of blistering returns and IPOs and SPACs and all these things that help boost and lift market returns last year is a continuing strong economic recovery. And the question is, is, it, is that the case? And 
you know, when you take a look at small businesses, small businesses are a very big driver of employment. And a very large chunk of the employment in the country, almost 50% of it, comes solely from small businesses. So it's important to really understand. And, and, and the other aspect, as I said just before the break, is that small business employment is also one of the interesting anomalies of the labor report, the employment report that we see from the Bureau of Labor Statistics every month. And every month they report jobs and they say, well, this month we created 250,000 new jobs. And a function of that is what's called the birth death analysis. And it's this rather opaque guess at the number of businesses that were created in a month versus those that went out of business in a given month, birth versus death, and the subsequent job creation or loss that went along with that. So every month we add, you know, between 50 and 100, 200,000 jobs in the form of this birth-death analysis. And it's solely a guess. We really have no idea how this number is calculated, where it comes from. Honestly, people at BLS are probably just, you know, have a random number generator every month, and they just kind of pull one out, right? Because it would have to be the case when you take a look at what we were saying before the break is that the number of small businesses hasn't really changed since 1998. We've had a lot of creation of small businesses, just none of them with employees. Holding companies, shell companies, trusts, estate plans, etc. But the small businesses, they tend to go into business and go out of business at roughly about the same rate that they have employees. And that number is actually seen by the Census Bureau. And in fact, if you take a look at the number of births of, of businesses over the course of the last, you know, 10 years, 12 years in particular, and the number of deaths, they pretty much cancel each other out. There's not really been a, a vast improvement. Now, this is important, again, because when we start talking about employment and, and the, the whole premise of this is we'll relate back to the market, if you'll just bear with me for a moment is because when we take a, a look at employment gains since 2009 and we take a look at how these employment gains were calculated, including and excluding the birth-death adjustment, what we find out is, is that the reported cumulative increase in jobs since 2009, and now this is through November. We don't have the December jobs report yet. 14.2 million jobs have been created cumulatively since 2009. So we've put 14.2 million people to work since 2009. If we adjust that to strip out the birth-death adjustment, we've actually only created about 3.7 million jobs, which leaves this 10 million job gap between those two numbers. So in other words, 10 million jobs were added to the role since 2009 through this mythical birth-death adjustment that is not really supported by the business birth-death Data is my point. Now, I'm not saying the BLS numbers are wrong. I'm just saying there's something not quite right here. The importance of that is that we're talking about now, today, a historically low unemployment rate, record numbers of job openings, right? But we have a labor force participation rate that's still in the very low 60s. 
Now, that number was much higher in, two, in 1999-2000. It came down. We hit a, a higher peak in 2008. And then it fell, has fallen to a new low since the financial crisis and has not recovered. And in fact, that labor force participation rate, every time we have a crisis in the economy, whether it's the dot-com bust, the financial crisis, the pandemic shutdown, we get a lower level of participation in the economy. Yes, some of that is retirees, the baby boomers, leaving the workforce. But that doesn't account for all of it. But it also suggests why we can't get economic growth that we can sustain at higher than about 2 2.5%. Yes, we had booming economic growth over the last year or so because of $5 trillion worth of liquidity. As my mom says, what are you going to do for me next? Right? Because in order to sustain that, we've got to give people more money. And that doesn't look to be the case, at least right now. Doesn't mean that if we don't get to another economic conundrum, the Fed won't come in, start throwing in liquidity left and right. And Republicans and Democrats alike won't vote for another major bailout because now they've seen how that works. They've gotten the taste of that socialistic policy and they like it because it makes them popular. And with midterms coming up, everybody wants to be popular. Now, what does this all have to do with a slice of bread and a jar of peanut butter? And by the way, that was a funny story. My wife had a craving for peanut butter and jelly while we were on our trip. So we went to, and we were going out fishing. And so if you bought peanut butter lately, it's freaking expensive, right? It's like $900 for a jar of peanut butter. Okay, not quite that much, but it's like, it was like 875. It was in the ballpark. Anyway, so. <laughs> She makes like one peanut butter sandwich out of the entire jar of peanut butter. No problem. And so I threw it in her suitcase just for fun on the way home and watched her, watched her suitcase get searched at the airport. <laughs> she didn't speak to me for the whole way home. <laughs> Is peanut butter now contraband? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, it's more than three ounces. You can't have it on the carry-on. You're so bad. <laughs> I was going to put the jar of jelly in my daughter's case, but I decided not to. <laughs> anyway, back to, back to our story. <laughs> so the, the point about this is that as we get back you know, to how this impacts the markets, it's important to understand that employment and jobs and all this is what leads to economic growth. And this is one of the reasons that you know, as we take a look at the small business confidence, it continues to decline. Despite the fact we had this record economic activity last year, small business confidence actually peaked back in October of 2018. Now, back in October of 2018, this was just passing the Trump tax cuts, Trump's fighting the trade war in China, and that was the peak of Small business confidence. In fact, that was a record peak in small business confidence in October 2018, and it has been downhill ever since. Now, that got dramatically worse, obviously, during the pandemic-driven shutdown, recovered a little bit following that shutdown, but never got back to its previous peak, and now it's, it's back down to about 98 
uh, currently on the Small Business Conf uh, Confidence Index. And why is that important? Because 50% of your job growth, remember, comes from small businesses. Now, if you take a look at the number of firms from the National Federation of Independent Business expecting economic improvement over the next six months, that number is negative. They are not optimistic about economic improvement over the next six months. And that has a very decent correlation with economic outlooks and actually economic reports, right? So right now there's a lot of exuberance about economic growth next year, but small businesses are saying we're not so optimistic. And again, when small businesses really aren't optimistic, they tend to be actually pretty good about that. There's a, there's a fairly decent correlation between economic confidence and actual economic prints. Now, again, if they're not optimistic about the economy, why? Well, one thing is inflation. And small businesses right now are dealing with the expectation that input costs are going to remain high, and that's impacting their profit margin. And those expecting higher input costs are rising. So higher input costs is problematic. And the reason that this is interesting, and when we talk about the aspects of how businesses work, and this is, this is one thing when it comes back to employment, You'll see this a lot in economic reports coming out about employment. They'll say the number of companies expecting to hire people, and they, this is usually a reference back to the NFIB, has risen sharply. Expectations of something and doing something are two entirely different things. And while small businesses have been expecting for months now to hire more employees, they really haven't. They're hiring what they need. They aren't hiring additional employees. So while we have these record job openings out there, companies are posting jobs like crazy. Doesn't necessarily mean they're actually hiring them. And the reason for that is what we'll talk about after the break and why this all relates back to why small businesses and small cap companies could be in trouble this year is about cost. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And 
and welcome back to the show this morning. So talking a little bit about outlooks for 2022. And again, that's going to kind of be the topic du jour this week as we kind of, you know, get all these inputs from everybody around the country and, you know, what, what this is going to look like economically, politically, you know, all these type of things, you know, that we have to deal with and, and particularly talking about monetary policies as well. And, you know, one thing that really drives the economy is small businesses. And I can't really stress to you enough about small businesses and their importance to the overall economy. And one of the important things, as we were talking about, is that what they say they're doing and what they actually do are two different things. Small businesses are always optimistic. You, you honestly, look, as a small business owner, of, I've owned multiple companies in my life. You know, it's just you can't run a small business and not be optimistic about the future. You can't. Because if you're in business, you've got to be hoping for better sales, better outcomes in order to invest capital. Otherwise, you're just not going to do anything and your business isn't going to grow. So you, you inherently have to be optimistic to run a small business. So when you ask a small business owner, how do you feel? Oh, I feel great. Business will be better next year. I'm going to hire a bunch of people. We're going to have better sales. You know, I'm very optimistic. But when it comes to doing something, that's based upon what's happening. Are my sales improving at a rate that justifies committing more capital? Take a look at their CapEx expenditure plans. Not so much. Expected sales over the next six months are not that that high, right? They're not that optimistic. Actual sales have not been that great. Not enough to warrant a big push into capital expenditures. So what they're actually doing with their capital is being much more conservative, and that has impacts on economic growth. And, and one of the things to take a look at in, in particular is there's a very high correlation between the confidence of small businesses and the small cap index of stocks. And confidence is getting substantially weaker, which suggests that the underlying impact of the economy is going to be weaker on small caps because they're not optimistic. And that could spell some trouble for small caps going into this year. Now, small caps have already been under, under pressure for the last six, eight months. After a, after a big start to 2021, kind of really petered out, went nowhere all year long, starting in about March. Doesn't mean that small caps have to decline this year, just means they may not have that big of, re, of a return. So one of the areas that, you know, people are, are kind of banking on is like, I, you know, I'm thinking small caps going to be a big winner this year because we have economic growth and all this, and that may not be the case. Small businesses really aren't suggesting that. And there's an important difference between small caps and large caps, especially publicly traded uh, small caps and large caps. But remember, a vast majority of the companies in the country are not publicly traded. You know, with a large cap publicly traded company, what we've seen supporting those asset prices over the course of the last really decade has been stock buybacks. We've talked about that on the show before. You know, companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft, they have the ability to go to the debt market, the equity market at any moment and raise billions of dollars for whatever purpose they want. 
right? I want to build a new plant. I want to hire more people. I want to buy back shares. Access to public markets. They can raise money immediately. Small cap companies, and particularly small businesses, don't have that access. They don't have access to Wall Street. They don't have access to a big pool of investors. So if they want to go do a debt offering, they don't have that ability. They don't have the ability to buy back a big chunk of their shares to help boost bottom line earnings. They don't have the capital, even if they're publicly traded. Profit margins are very dependent upon economic activity. So one of the big things to be paying attention to is, is paying attention to their confidence because if I'm not confident about the economy in the upcoming year, I'm not going to take on a lot of risk to grow and expand my business. So one of the areas we may want to be cautious of over the course of the next 12 months is the small and mid-sized companies because they're going to be kind of a telltale sign of what's really happening within the actual economic environment. That's going to play an impact on Fed policy, political policy, as well as large cap stocks. You know, at the end of the day, it really comes down to the economy because sales and revenue all come from economic activity, which is you and me out there doing our thing. You know, going out to dinner, buying stuff. That's 70% of the economy is our consumption. So if we're having slower economic growth rates, and this is what small businesses are concerned about, then that suggests that we're doing less in terms of activity. That means lower sales, lower revenues. And particularly for the small mid-cap companies that don't have the profit margins to deal with as much as large-cap companies, that's going to put them under more pressure in terms of valuations and you know accounting for those increases in price. You know, and that's another thing altogether is that when we start talking about, you know, valuations and share buybacks and all these type of things, if you take a look at the S&P as an example, we've talked about this before, we've written about it, you know, 40% of the return of the S&P has come from share buybacks. Share buybacks have accounted for about 100% of the net buying over the course of the last few years. So, one of the big questions for the markets is what's going to con continue that demand for share buybacks. Because at some point, if the economy slows and companies become concerned about the survival of their business, needing cash, and they start to hoard that cash rather than using it for non-economic purposes like share buybacks, all of a sudden, one of the big supports for the markets goes away. So these are those things, right? These are those unanticipated consequences. Right now, it's easy to sit there and look forward and say, well, you know, we had a 25% plus year last year. We should just have another boomer year this year. Could be the case. I'm not saying that that's not going to be the case. What I am saying is that we need to be paying attention to what's happening below the surface. Because that ultimately drives the things that drives the valuations of companies, earnings, sales, those type of activities. And 
we've had an environment over the last couple of years of a lot of liquidity, low interest rates, easy monetary accommodation, and that's all going away. Those easy supports are being reversed as we get into the new year. At least that's the anticipation the Fed is talking about right now, tapering their balance sheet, even though they really haven't yet, hiking interest rates. Global liquidity is set to slow down this year. So those are the things that underneath the surface are going on. Now, whether or not they come to fruition will be another story entirely. But these are the things that we at least need to be paying attention to, at least have them on our radar. You know, hope for the best, right? But plan for these eventualities that could occur and have a plan for that. Because by planning, you know, and this is one of the big, the big problems for a lot of investors is they, they buy stocks. You know, it's interesting. If you drive a car, you have car insurance. Why? In case you get in a wreck. Now, you hope you don't, right? But you have car insurance. Um, you have health insurance. Nobody plans on getting sick, but you have health insurance just in case. Jump out of an airplane, you have a parachute. And you have a backup just in case. No matter what activity, look, you play football, right? You wear helmets and pads and all kinds of stuff. Flak jackets if you're a, a quarterback. Why? Prevent you from getting hurt. No matter what we do in life, we manage the risk. We wear safety equipment. We have backup parachutes. We have insurance. We have brakes. I mean, who needs brakes and rearview mirrors, right? You have those things to help offset the risk of something going wrong. But when it comes to investing, a lot of investors have no risk management whatsoever. They never plan or have insurance for the what ifs. And that's what we're talking about here. Looking ahead into the year and saying, what is the what ifs that could impact our markets, our money, and our investments in 2022. That's going to be our focus for the next week. And we'll be talking about this as we go through. And I certainly encourage you to go by our website, send us emails, your comments, your questions. Happy to discuss those on the air. Simply go by realinvestmentadvice.com. Click the Ask a Question button right at the top. Send me your questions. We'll certainly talk about them, get them included. But the, these are the things that we need to be thinking about as we begin to position for the next year. Now, what are we doing right now? Nothing. Right? We're not making any major changes to portfolios. Markets are going to be up mildly this morning. We've had a couple of down days in the markets over the last few days. So, again, not surprising you're getting a bounce. First day of the year as, as mutual funds you know, kind of position for the new year. But the question now becomes, what happens next? That's going to be the question we've got to answer next. Anyway, get by the website. Our article is out on the website about why small caps could be in trouble this year. Um, but again, we'll be talking about a lot of this all week long policy and procedures as we get through this week looking into 2022. Have a great day. Be back here tomorrow, of course, as our live show get back on track. Three minutes of markets and money be coming out this morning. All of it getting back online for the new year. We're glad to be here. We're glad to have you with us. Realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow.